0: Said Derek's overdressed. He just came back from court.
1: No, I. There's no in-person things anymore, and so yeah. I want to. You know what I mean? I. Wa- <laughs> I made my tea. I've got my my gear on, and I've got a nice jacket on. I want to look nice for people. <clears throat> Don't bart- I have a brand here. You know what I mean? <laughs> and one element of my brand is is hotness and style and fashion. <laughs>
0: You should use that on your videos as well.
1: (laughs) I've been tired tired lately while I make my
0: videos. Mm. At least you make videos. I'm like dead.
2: Yeah. (sighs) I know. It's not a kind of spiral situation where...
0: uh, Yeah, once once you stop, it's hard to get back.
2: Yeah. And also, I actually filmed a Zoom conversation with Sean from Sean Mooney. Uh, from Sean the Book Maniac channel. uh, He's like, oh, uh, do you want to edit this one? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll I'll get around to it. I've
1: had
3: that for (laughs) like so, uh,
1: Mm. you know. Was that breast and eggs? What's that? Was that breast and eggs? Was that the conversation you guys had? We talked about that a little bit, I
2: think, but uh, it was just more general stuff. Okay. Uh, kind of like what you've been reading. We we dug into each other's sordid sexual
3: pasts, and uh, <laughs> there's there's, well, lots yeah.
2: of, there's lots of there's lots juicy meat waiting
3: there. We just I just gotta oh. get around. At least that's everything out. <laughs> 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 oh, no. I'm
2: I'm I'm gonna test
0: YouTube. Uh, you know, shameless. Just leave Sean's juicy stuff in there and edit yours out. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I will say
2: he he showed me his his large phallic pe- uh statue that uh, he had like a carved. Yeah, so I'm probably up the hype now, so it's in public.
1: <laughs> I love uh, the idea of the editing out, like if like every time you go to speak, there's your voice voiceover just saying, "My first kiss was my husband." <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> I never think of other people. <laughs>
2: No, I, I have to. I have to. I have to meet him and, and raise the bar further. <laughs> to my goal, but uh, yeah, it, it came up. Uh, I don't know if we were going to talk about like bad stuff we read this year too, but like this was the year that I finally accepted that uh, you know Cox cannot sustain an entire like novel-length narrative. It's just it's not <laughs> a, a lucky premise for me this
0: you, year but breasts were fun. I mean,
2: no, they're great. They didn't they did, actually, <laughs> she's that very book is on is on my little list, but
0: uh Yeah. Uh I assumed it was I, <laughs> <laughs> it was on I my read, list but I thought ah you'll cover it.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know you know I got my eyes on that me. But uh the we Sean and I read a book together called The Collection by this French author. Her name's escaping me was, as as the translator. Uh but it was all about this woman who had like lots of sexual experiences like with anonymous strangers. And she was building this memory palace of of all the penises that she had, you know, men she had hooked up with. And that was like her so
0: whole she was collecting mushrooms. <laughs>
2: it sounded like it's a
0: cover full of mushrooms yeah <laughs> yeah
2: it sounded like a, I mean who who wouldn't love that especially now you would want you I would be hanging out my penis palace like all the time but uh it just could not keep but up a like of a work of, uh, of <laughs> entertainment and then I'm I'm nearing the end Derek of and maybe you've read this too, Michael uh the, the Vengeance is mine, all others must pay mm-hmm. cash by Aka <laughs> Kerwinian. I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, and I also don't believe it. Do but anyway, man, if thoughts and prayers were a real thing, then that guy's <laughs> dick would be like working nonstop <laughs> because it is mentioned by every character on like every other page, like their concern for his penis and how he can't get an erection.
3: <laughs> it's just
0: like. In a, he talked yeah. about his problems to everyone, it seemed.
1: Everyone. And yeah. that, that was the funny part to me. What what didn't work for the book for me was that the ultimate reveal on why he is this way <laughs> was too like rote, I thought. Like it was it was psychology one oh one ish type feel to me. Like and and so much of the other elements of the book were really like out there and interesting. And then all of a sudden I'm not like, I mean, he had trauma obviously, but it was like, in the context of all the other crazy shit that went on, they didn't sell the trauma to me in a way to where I was like, really? You know, so I, I didn't like that book. I mean, you, you were talking, you started off saying books we didn't like. I probably read more books I didn't like this year than any other year. I mean, that's my own fault. It's not like,
0: you know, played twenty twenty.
1: Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. But like, I tried. I tried, like... tried oh,
1: Nabokov, pen or whatever. I know I always say it wrong. Nabokov. Oh okay. How you okay? I tried Pin and I hated it. Like for instance, you know what right. I mean? Like, um, Michael and me both weren't too much into the John Fossey, the other names which I thought I would, you know, devour. Um, anyway. Yeah.
0: I feel like it was the wrong time to read Fosse, because you had the what? president doing string of conscious speaking at Didn't <laughs> need more string of conscious books.
1: See, I didn't, that really never, until you said something, I that didn't catch me that way. And it still honestly didn't, only because, well, I don't know, it just didn't. But what, bothered, what, what didn't get me, through it at all, is that it was so boring. I mean, and I, I gotta have something you know what I mean, to like cling in on, and it was just so his interior dialogue I, I, I mean, his interior monologue to me was way more boring than mine is. I don't know about like
0: <laughs> You don't think about houses and parks?
1: That's, no, what is I don't like ruminate on every tiny decision for five pages. <laughs> Like literally about like, should I drive here or here is five pages <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Like I'm just
3: like, no, nah, anyway. we're is not here. To, like, you
2: know. Is there like a plot to that
1: book or is it really just kind of. There is a, a there's, yeah, but there's a setup. The setup is good. I think and the setup is there's two people with identical names. Okay. And they're both painters One of them got sober years before and is successful, like he has a gallery that sells his stuff, okay? And he lives kind of like, he goes into the city every now and then, but mostly he lives like out in the country with one sort of eccentric neighbor, okay? And he's in the first part of the narration going to see the guy with the other name, his same name, who was also a painter but is an alcoholic Beyond I mean it's one of the probably darkest alcoholism uh, depictions I've read in books you know like Shane what's his name from the pogues having to wake up and and drink Mm -hmm. vodka in the morning just to be able to like wake up like it was really really bad so I will admit that having been sober from booze at least for nine years some of those descriptions while good were a little bothersome um and that's not the fault of, of whatever um, but and and anyway but so but that's the setup michael's right that there's no plot like there's a setup and then you're within those thoughts of those two people but you're not like pacing toward anything they both kind of feel like they're at the end of their life too you know like mm-hmm. i'm not going to read the second there's a second one and i think it's the last one um but anyway i mean i think we're at the end of their life too so there's like it's a lot of looking backward as opposed to forward or present Mm.
2: well that's a lot more than i knew about that book before it it felt like one of those ones that has the most like it's like this guy's this author is important and he's doing interesting things and you know nothing else about the book it's just like kind of Mm. there's a it was like a mysterious
3: omnibus.
0: But it sounds like it didn't, it didn't
2: I feel deliver.
3: like
0: I need to try. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe try another one, but I don't know if that one's worth it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think that in general, I mean, it's not like there's a lack of, you know, white male European authors. You know what I mean? Like, that's not where my reading. Lacks. So I think I'm more likely to to try, like, as opposed to going into another one of his books. Like, I think I'd rather try from either a country I haven't read before or or very often. You know what I mean? Or, like, you know, some perspective or whatever that, um, you know, is just a little bit different. Like, this is, I kind of get the vibe of what he's dealing with. Anyway.
3: Yeah.
1: I think
2: I kind of ended up feeling this similar about Thomas Bernhardt after I finished the woodcutters. But I don't yeah. want to get dragged down into the, the mire of
3: negativity. <laughs> it to be positive.
2: Yeah. It's, I, I, it's, what do you mean? It's like you kind of give those guys one chance. And yeah, novels can be like very different from one another. And maybe that just wasn't the right one for you. But I, I kind of see the, the – I, I sympathize with that instinct. Like I'm not going to immediately or maybe ever go back to Thomas Bernhardt just yeah, it kind of like it was the one shot and it just wasn't enough
0: Ooh. i haven't yeah. tried it yet but as i said before my prizes is going to be the one i want to try
1: yeah mm. yeah some smack talking it is, it is interesting how like what your entry into an author that has a lot of work how much that colors your eventual like long-term view you know of, of the author um, it, you know for, for positive and for negative I, as much as I love Bologna for instance I mean there's plenty that if I had read that first and started off I wonder if I would have been like eh, I'm in no rush you know what I mean because there's yeah. so much work and there's plenty of it that's minor work you know Um, and then one of mine tonight that I'll talk about I think it's that I started with like such a perfect one you know that it it sealed you the deal like for me. Bologna. So what?
0: You like Bellagio?
1: You've never mentioned that before. <laughs> I no, I probably should. I probably should talk about that song. <laughs>
2: yeah, it does. Uh, actually, I read my first Bellagio. That was just kind of like meh to me this year as well. And I, I think there is like it, it builds some faith or like some goodwill. <laughs> when that first experience is like so, it seems excessive, but also like, oh, they're really like pulling something off here. And then you, you, you can go into their more, you know, minor works or other stuff and be like, you know, maybe they tried that before and it, it totally didn't work. I could see that happening because I can't believe it actually worked that one time. But uh, is yeah. it one
0: of the what CD to what published?
2: Uh, I don't know. I don't think so.
3: This is the third. It's a
0: heap of Bowser Oh, third right? Yeah, I think that's what he wanted.
3: Yeah, I love that. But book.
0: they keep releasing all those <laughs> books that he didn't want published. It's yeah, <laughs> frustrated.
1: <laughs> when I when I was uh, a teenager in the early twenties, there used to be all that buzz around jd salinger as soon as he dies he has like 10 unpublished books ready to go do y'all remember that at all i mean i wasn't even like i read catch on the ride the time that you do um and a couple of short stories he was never it never was a thing for me that seriously but i was always very attracted to the mystery of the author and the man himself and of course he died we're many years later and there's nothing you know, like I think he really was in the woods doing yoga, um, being with increasingly younger women. Like that's all he was <laughs>
3: doing. <laughs> we, we believe the the facts that have been presented. He yeah. <laughs> yeah. also an
0: attractive man. <laughs> <laughs>
3: unlike <laughs> yeah. unlike Michael, Thomas I... pension. <laughs> <laughs> Neither confirm nor deny. No one knows.
2: (laughs) I think Michael should go first about one that he really likes.
0: One that I really like. Well, I think the favorite of mine was Kim Jong born 1982. I don't know Mm. if either of you read that. That's Chu Bai Ju and translate translated from the Korean by Jamie Chang. Um I think it's a book men should read, not women, because it's like going through the everyday sexism of a woman. Like Kim Jong in 1982 is probably one of the most popular names given to women. Mm. So it's like telling the story of this woman and just all the shit she had to go through throughout her life and all the sexism she had to deal with. And it was like... Just everyday sexism stuff. Like when she's in primary school, she gets picked on by a boy because he has a crush on her and, like, she's bawling and crying and the teacher's going, oh, it's just because he likes you. Let it go. <laughs> yeah, so the whole book's about that and just all that kind of struggle, which like, I'm lucky I don't have that struggle, but it's interesting to read that and see what they have to go through. Does it follow her, think, like a specific
2: period yeah. of her life?
0: That's okay. um, no, for just throughout her whole, like, up until she becomes a mother, like, pressured into giving birth and getting married and all those kind of things. And the, um, in their pay gap when she gets a job and stuff like that. So it's kind of dealing with a lot of those issues and um, just how much she has to put up with because she's a woman.
1: So, in your experience, have the have the women that you've talked to about this book not liked it because they felt like it's an obvious thing, sort of? Is well, that the- yeah,
0: there, there's a a few women that I've talk to, say that I don't need to read this because I've experienced this in my life. Right, I don't want right. to experience that on my pages. That's so there was yeah. a lot of that. That's why I say men read it, just so they get a kind of idea. It's a short book, but yeah,
3: yeah. there's a mm-hmm. lot
0: of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: you probably can, know. <laughs> <what's>... <laughs> like the, the mundane suffering is kind of like if you've been through it yourself, yeah. if you 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 maybe want to see a little something <laughs> but the the experience as like a narrative can be valuable as well. Ooh. Yeah.
3: Like,
0: yeah. Yeah, like I I finished a book and then restarted it again with my wife just as an audio book, just because I was curious to see her reactions to it and how she responded to it.
3: Mm. What, I what, did what that. Was that. That same one,
0: right? Oh, mm. okay. And what? What did what she? Ah, uh, well, there's a podcast episode where we talk about it. But yeah, she she's she enjoyed it more than other people, other women have. But she was kind of going into it aware that people were upset because this is life experience. So she mm. kind of had that feeling of this is uh, what to expect. This is going to be difficult to hear sometimes.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, she was like well-primed for it.
3: <laughs> Ooh.
1: Ready to suffer. <laughs> All right, Dan. Which are
0: most, most of the books I pick are suffering. <laughs> of course they are, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for your book. Derek, where we read about your suffering ah,
1: soon. You know the <laughs> suffering of um, you know whatever a white middle age. Exactly. <got. laughs> like, completely.
0: <laughs> it's never been done before.
1: All right, the entire world is set up for me to succeed. But <laughs> let me, <laughs> let me, uh,
2: <laughs> Well, we we look forward to it in uh, in twenty twenty two. Is that when it's We'll
3: see. We're, we're right hanging optimistic. You've been, you've been, I've
2: seen, I've seen a lot of uh, output from you, uh,
3: yeah. Derek,
2: on, on the Twitters. It's very cool. I've, uh, yeah. You, it seems like you picked up a lot of pace in terms of stuff you've been submitting
3: for publication.
1: Yeah. I mean, read? once I decided to do it, um, that was the biggest hang up, you know, and then. I mean, I've mentioned this recently, but the only thing I kind of think back on is should I have like done a different Twitter account with a, not my real name because like Mm -hmm. I am employed and stuff like,
3: (laughs) you know what I mean? And and, and not everything I write is necessarily
1: like your boss. Um, But (laughs) but Mm -hmm. also like, it felt like a, a little bit of like a pulling the rug under with people that like wanted to follow me. Cause I used to like only talk about translated literature, you know, only. And then all of a sudden it was like, here's a thing they wrote, here's a thing I wrote. But the nice thing is I realized is that you can, and by you, I mean like me or whoever so much more, think so much more about that stuff than other people do. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like just be a damn self, whatever it is. And you know what I mean? Like, It was just whatever, like, you know, and and so I I think it's fine, but it is a little weird in some ways that, like, there's, like, this crossover thing. But it is all the same thing. It's all literature, you know? Like, it's just, I do, I've always looked at books from a, a technical and a craft side. Like, that's always the stuff that I loved, you know, was the words, the language. One of the things I used to say about translated literature that I loved so much was that you had two artists working together to give you this product you know what I mean like and so sometimes there would be like people have said Stefan Zweig for instance it does not read well in his own language like that the books are kind of like don't sound great so like he's got good stories but he's not like um, Kafka in German or something where it's like you know he's brilliant wordsmith but I can never know that I never will know that you know what I mean, and so like because you get this other artist's interpretation of something on top of it, um, and I always really, really like that, and it helped my writing because I was reading so much stuff that was filtered through, right? So you know that whole thing about like I don't want to read this because I'm trying to work on something like this, so I don't want to be like influenced. Well, it's hard to be influenced when something's being translated. Like, who am I influenced by? But anyway, okay. two
0: thoughts here. Yeah, one, did you not change your name because Big Bruce, a dope boy, was already taken? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know and the I other one was. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go on.
1: No, I don't have an answer. That that is my answer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the other one with translations. You know how they say, "Write, uh, read what you want to write." How do you mm-hmm. do that if you're? translate translations all the time
1: um yeah I mean one <laughs> I think I don't get I don't get in the language too much of a certain writer which has been a thing in the past that has really screwed me up you know like especially I don't think it would anymore because I'm older and because I've done it consistently for years now even though I haven't submitted stuff but it, I mean, I remember at 22, 23, when I first started Infinite Jest, like definitely my short stories just sounded like that first character, you know? I mean, and so for one thing, that, that's kind of again, a nice thing is that like you're getting it, 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 you're not taking any of that. But the bigger
3: reason or the bigger thing that helps is the stories from
1: around the world just tell different stories, you know? And there is a limit you know to american fiction and to the stories they're going to tell because we are a very specific kind of shitty empire you know what i mean and so and and so there is sort of a, you know uh, yeah (laughs) i mean you can do it so so i really really like i mean some of my favorite i mean that's why i like that nona uh fernandez was that who did space invaders Last year, that we both really liked, Michael. Like, is that like I didn't know anything about the government of that. And I end up then, like, through a Wikipedia rabbit hole, like, you know, looking up all the atrocities, you know, and and whatever, you know. So, anyway, so I think that that is, is that there's just different stories. And I'm really attracted to like the story part. But I mean, I've got of my five books, I did pick one non translated title. Like, I am reading more, you know, non translated.
3: Yeah. Rude the brand the brand.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> I actually picked a non-translation, so Oh you I did? Can't but is it in
1: English? Is it in English or Australian?
0: American.
1: <laughs> 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 okay, Dave, you have to go next. What's your first one?
3: Okay, I have to go next.
2: I tried to only <laughs> pick uh ones that I don't I don't think we've discussed. Much in the past, and this is one that I read earlier on this year. You may have heard of of uh, its metamorphoses, <laughs> uh, translated by. The, this is the only. I was telling Michael before this that. Oh, uh, no, this one's translated by uh, David Rayburn. Yeah, uh, I telling Michael before I. Why I'm not prepared I was like I was gonna pull The the physical books Off my shelf And I was scurrying around And and gave up Mm. But I did find uh, Metamorphoses Which I don't know Like I've always been uh, Like When I was a a kid My dad used to like Tell me like Greek and Norse myths As like bedtime stories I got really into that That's cool
3: To terrify uh, you? Let's yeah. At
2: They're so much more exciting. I mean, come on, like Baby Shark—that's <laughs> we all know. <laughs> that's just a stepping stone to to
3: you know
0: Hades Gates and the yeah, of course. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> you, you're <laughs> like yelling that. out for Hades to come get you.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's so like dramatic and tragic and funny, and I, I think that you know, in terms of, like, books needing to give you, like, a little bit of something to hang on for and engage, engage you and kind of entertain you to a certain extent, like, this one was just, like, a really surprisingly at, you know, I don't know how old it is. It's pretty old. This is my historical assessment. I'm a dumb guy. I don't know how history works, and I didn't look it up beforehand. But anyway, it's, like, a pretty old book. But, like, because it's not like committed to any particular subject matter beyond transformation, uh, or you know, like style. There are these parts that are like just straight up read like a horror story. Like there's this whole sequence Ooh. where people are you know dissing um, what's his name Dionysus because uh, he's like the the youngest of the gods and he's kind of one of Zeus's many illegitimate children and you know, not do proper respect and like Dionysus's like feasts of, you know, all of his followers is like nearing and nearing this village. And it turns into this like horror story where like revelers, you know, rip the unbelievers limb from limb. And then there are just like these other funny and weird parts where like this guy is, uh, you know, Zeus and Hera, these are the Greek names, not the Roman names, so I'm sure Ovid would not approve, but, uh, you <laughs> know, I track so many of these things. And uh, anyway, they're arguing about whether, like, men or women have more pleasure during sex, and uh, they're like, hey, let's let's call on uh, Tiresias, I think it is, like a, a, a famous seer of Greek legend. He's like, cause he like transformed into a woman for seven years because he was like going down a forest path and he saw two snakes banging and he hit him with a stick and then he turned into a woman. And uh, so he had many sexual experiences on both sides and he's like, yep, women win, they got it the best. So, you know, heard it here first. And then he was like, but this is like the origin story the guy who was like in uh, Oedipus Rex like the seer who (laughs) foretold you know all of the bad shit that was going down the blind man and you know all the fucked up family drama that was happening in that play like his origin story is like I can see the future because I you know did a bunch of weird snake sex stuff so (laughs) it's kind of all over the place it's like super entertaining Uh, and you know it's kind of that's what I needed at the time I was reading it too It it just something to kind of like you know not that it's not deep and doesn't it has like lots of like social commentary like you realize how fucked up all of like the most famous Greek heroes were they did tons of like like disgusting morally disgusting acts and it's a part of their mythology but the only stories that we typically hear are like their great deeds but then there's like this whole sequence where this man will not praise Hercules because he was like in battle with Hercules and Hercules is a up guy. Uh, so there's like calling out the toxic male anti you know, way back when. This
1: that's fascinating. He's was... <laughs> really fun. I, I highly I've really never like read it. I've never read it. You know, never it's like a that's a big hole that but I've never never read it. Um, I, I tried starting another epic poem
2: afterwards. I think it was I think it was the Odyssey, no, the Aeneid. and I thought like it would be the same. It's not the same. I think ovid Ovid is kind of like following up after a lot of the people that laid the groundwork and mm-hmm. doing his own kind of like ink on the mythology. Uh, you know, the more classical stuff doesn't excite me as much as this managed to i think I mean, the impression <laughs> I have is that it
1: was like unique even amongst similar texts, but I might well, I mean, it, it's interesting anything that survives cultural importance for that long, Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's in and of itself, like incredible, <laughs> or at least yeah. the, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah.
2: Actually, he ends the whole book saying like, and now that you've read this, this story, I will be the name that lives on forever, like oh. even past the, the, I was like, damn, yeah. that's like some like a sweet flex to like drop at the end because you kind of think
3: <laughs> he turns it a-
2: around. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. He's uh, you know, the the last portion of the book is all about how basically the Roman Empire is, you know, the inheritor of all of the Greek uh, hero and mythology and the power of the gods and there's this whole thing where they bring Apollo over in the form of like a golden cobra or some shit over from like a Greek temple into Rome and he's like now blessing them with their power and he's like talking mm-hmm. about how like Julius Caesar was you know also born of the gods and blah 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 and it's was like oh this is becoming like some like pro-empire propaganda at the end but then at the mm-hmm. end he was like actually eye
1: off it or like and the, the true hero of his tale, Mike Drop. Yeah, I was um, just going to say, it's good to see that writers definitely have not changed.
3: You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he,
1: he, he, he had some swagger
2: at the end, but I think yeah. the it was justified swagger based on you know, what
1: he pulled off. All right, are you guys going in any order or are you just pulling them? Just picking random ones. All right. I'm going to go with this one, which is Marie Njai's That Time of Year, uh, translated by Jordan Stump, and that's Two Lines Press. It's really thin, thin volume. It was the first of hers I read. And, Dan, you were talking about, like, the time that you read something, like, needing something at a time. This um, I read right when it came out, like, at the end of summer going into the fall and that was a big shift here in this country in terms of, um, it's starting to feel like we were, we were gearing up towards a long and, and difficult, you know, six months or whatever, you know, an election was coming up in two months that was driving everybody crazy. And then, um, you know, like the brief respite from, uh, from, you know, COVID numbers kind of, we knew, uh, was going to be, you know, gone. So anyway, this story is a family that goes on vacation, like a French family and, um, the dad, they stay like one day later than they normally do into September. And so it was really interesting reading it. Like during that time as the seasons were to change, because it's a tourist town that, that like, you're not supposed to stay past that one day. Um, and so it's just the man who can't find his wife and kids. And then all of the sort of like mysteries of the village and the town and whatnot come out. I mean, it would be a great movie. It's a horror story, um, but written and obviously translated beautifully. The first one of hers, you know, obviously that I'd read. Um, but what I really liked about it is I am extremely sensitive to seasonal change. Um, you know, a week ago, I, I probably had the worst depressive episode I've had all year. You know what I mean? because like we really here in North Carolina hit winter. We hit the dark at four forty five, four fifty pm. You know, we hit the cold. Uh, and of course, we can't leave our houses or anything anyway, so this year is even a little bit worse. But like I'm just very attuned to it. And I love the idea of this. Book where you're trying to stay in one season just a little too long, and what that does to you psychologically. So that was a winner, mm-hmm. definitely good book. And I got actually, you know, one of my favorite people on Twitter is Ron Restrepo. Do you guys follow him? He's mm-hmm. in Texas, and he's like just a great reader. Like, and so I, he likes her a lot, but he um, got me to get this one. So this is the next one I should read, which is My Heart Hemmed In. And I'm hoping, I think that's going to be like my first read of the new
3: year. Um, because this is somebody who, like, I could see myself reading everything. Like, I love it. It
2: sounded really interesting when
3: you were describing it. That's definitely
1: one that's piqued my interest
3: as well. Yeah, like
1: it's plot, it's plotted more so than a lot of the stuff that we read and talk about. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's why I said the screenplay mm-hmm. thing. It's, it's very, like, you're kind of like, oh, well, this is just, like, there's a lot of action and stuff going on. But anyway, it's good. Loved it.
3: Awesome. I think I've read her, Mike. but I don't remember. <laughs> Me? Yes. Uh, let's, you. Get
0: <laughs> let's get this English book out of the way.
1: Eddie gets <laughs> <any guesses. laughs> English books, American. Oh, I, I think I think it might be Ant Kind. I think it might have been enough to, pull, to get in your top five. Which one? Ant Kind. Ant
0: Kind. No,
3: definitely <laughs> not. <laughs>
0: Uh, Fleisman is in trouble.
3: Oh. By that
0: taffy Boris uh,
1: Ackner. God, it's been a um, long year. I I didn't realize that was yeah. this year for you because you did a podcast on that, didn't you?
0: The podcast? My translation oh, yeah. podcast on an American and, uh, book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> did you do a video on it? I, I definitely listened to you. Uh,
0: yeah. I did do about it, but, I thought, it,
1: but I didn't realize it was this year. That's that's crazy.
0: I think it was January or February this year. It's basically if um how do you how do you describe it? Um if Philip Roth wrote good books. I like that. <laughs> Because it has that sort of style of this angsty man living in New York complaining about his hard life,
3: <laughs>
0: but then it like flips to his ex wife's perspective, and then you uncover all everything that's going on from her side, and he's just an annoying man just. Ch- complaining about a struggle that's not really a struggle. He's just selfish and like mm-hmm. living in his own head. It was really interesting in that perspective because there's so many books about men living lives in in New York and it was just interesting to see that and then just turn it just to see what's actually happening from someone else's point of view.
3: Hmm.
2: So it's really the ex-wife's perspective that made it, like, better than
0: the average. Oh, yeah. Like, I I, I really enjoyed it because, you know, I I like that intellectual living in New York kind of setting. But then when it flipped, it's like, oh, this just got heaps better. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Gotta stay tuned for the flip.
3: So is it, like,
2: funny? Is it, like, satirical, kind of? Or what's, like, the tone
3: of it?
0: Philip, think Philip Roth type thing where he's just living his life having his breakdowns and complaining about the world and his sex wife and trying to have sex with everyone that's standing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's funny, it's um, entertaining. There's just like, there's a whole thing where he joins dating websites and Trying to deal with all that when he's like this forty or fifty year old man trying to understand this new way of dating. So, yeah, I, <laughs> it's just I just like that kind of book. I I, I enjoy people complaining about life.
3: <laughs> Relatable.
0: Yeah. I guess it was probably just the right time, right place. But I think, yeah, for an American book, it did well. (laughs) (laughs) It
2: had to break through like many layers of armor to to earn that spot.
0: (laughs) I've read a lot of crime this year because 2020. But most of that's been American.
1: They had a. NYRB books had a sale and I, I know it was for Australia it did not matter because Damien posted his cart uh, and I could not I believe yeah. I could not believe this shit like unbelievable but anyway um, for here it was a good deal and I, and I got the last two manchets and one of them was Ivy Pearl which I know you've read but I haven't um, and I'm definitely excited about that so I'll finish out that the crime definitely helps me out when I'm in a rut. I haven't, I
0: haven't read the ivory foil. I've oh, you got have it? I thought done. you had. Oh, you got it. Uh, I bought it recently, sometime this year. I've only oh, read two, to to two, two. I think two, yeah.
2: If you had to recommend one to read first of
0: his, would which... I don't know what, what Derek would say. What did you say, Data? If you had, yeah,
1: like he's right. Start. I think he's <laughs> right, actually. Yeah. See, I my favorite is three to kill. Um, mm. because it it has, I think, like the most interesting setup of the ones I've read so far. And again, there's there's two I have it: Ivory Pearl, and then. Well, the other one's not up here. But but I think Nada probably is the best, like, um, representation. Definitely the new one is not. The newest one is um, No Room at the Morgue. And it's his take on, like, American private eye stuff. It's great. But it's nothing like his other stuff because he doesn't do private eye detective stuff. He's going to mm. hone in on either the criminal or in a lot of cases like the patsy like right you know like that's how three the kill is where it's like he's gonna hone in on that and then you're gonna see that in fact it is complicit too, you know, because of, of course a lot of his stuff is completely anti-capitalist. I mean that's why he is um I think as <laughs> Loved and stuff as he is across different, not just as a noir writer, because there's there's more there. Like he has definitely a political bent. But yeah, I think Michael's right about about where to start.
2: Cool. Yeah, because of you two, I've been wanting to to check him out, but you know, wasn't sure.
0: Turned you into a crime reader.
2: <laughs> yeah. I like it. Hey, I got you to read, uh, to read Generation Loss.
0: Which is kind of a character right
3: now. So, yeah, uh,
0: I, I do want to read more of those I like yeah. the idea of it from the photographer perspective.
2: Yeah, Elizabeth Hand, she's a talented writer. I just I finished the fourth one. book of lamps and banners. It was like each of the books kind of like uses art to Kind of dig back into the horrors of like some certain era of the past, and then in the newest one, the horror is the currently happening reality of like rampant white supremacy and like imminent pandemics, and uh, you know it got it got real in the the, (laughs) the newest. The, I guess the oh. So one I wanted to mention too as a favorite of this year uh, is called Free Day by Ines Cognati. The translator uh, from French, I believe, is Liesel we- Schillinger. Liesel, Liesel, uh, and I actually got this book. It's an NYRB book, uh, at least as it's available in America. And I entered some like online giveaway and actually won. So I got this book for free. And I was like, I mainly I kind of entered it because it has this really cool cover art by there's a a surrealist uh, painter named Remedios Varo, who I always really liked her art. And uh, they used her for the cover of this book, which is, you know, almost nothing to do with the actual story itself. But it looks really Mm -hmm. cool. I I want it. and so I read it and uh you know that so the author herself uh, where her family immigrated from a very poor region of italy to live uh in the countryside of france where there's like a very hard agricultural it's not nice it's not a nice place to live (laughs) it's hard to make things grow and to to live any kind of of good life and uh You know, there's an interesting introduction where the author basically, I guess, you know, even at the end of her artistic career, having become a successful novelist in France, still said that she never felt that she was French because of this cultural divide she felt in her upbringing. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so, like, the book itself is set kind of in that same region, set of conditions, where probably the author grew up. And I guess, like, the my capsule review of this book is like it's like if Holden Caulfield had like real shit to worry about like <laughs> it's just, she's going to this kind of you know very nice school but she has to sort of live as a as a dormer there she's sort of like this the scholarship student if you will and uh, her her family still lives in the countryside and so she rides these long like multiple mile treks on some weekends to go see her family but her family has all this sort of like crazy shit going on lots of kids not a lot of means to take care of them and uh, she's kind of the one that got out has prospects for like a more successful conventional life but her mother in particular is like very approachable dependent on her and to help her just like take care of the practical day-to-day stuff and it's kind of like this it's not in you know you hear that premise and you can think probably of like multiple other novels and movies that have like oh going you know the you know out of a shot of success and i'm going back to my roots kind of thing but it was way more like raw and like unpredictable than that this the the protagonist was very like she's authentically traumatized and so she's like she's doing well but she's not like I mean she's doing well by like social standards in terms of mm-hmm. like getting to pursue this you know educational opportunity and you know not living in like the material conditions that her family is living in and at the same time she's like deeply traumatized by all the things that have happened uh she's sort of like approaching even after this like long, harsh journey by bicycle to her family's house, like she's still just sort of like circling the property and like these different er- like geographical features spark these like kind of memories of her, you know, what she's experienced there. And it's like sort of like exploring this like physical and like psychological like territory. She's just kind of like pushing the edges of it probing around trying not to like disturb things wondering maybe if she shouldn't have come back home at all. And uh, you know, it's very, it's like very nihilistic. So (laughs) it it has that like whole, like people are fakes and phonies attitude, but like really backs it up with like (laughs) some real shit. So (laughs) I don't know. It was was totally surprising. Had no expectations whatsoever going in. I was like, "God damn, this is is good
3: stuff." So I got a lot of respect. (laughs) I just added added it to my wish list. Where do you do you use Goodreads for that?
0: Um, Yeah, but I'm slowly converting to StoryGraph. I have Goodreads.
1: I have never used one of those before, Um, but I am, like, I realized that I was basically depressed buying a few too many books during, like, lockdown or whatever, Um, you know, to where I had the, you know, we had to have the sit down, you know, about the, (laughs) like, hey. You know, uh, so I was like, Oh, yeah, you know what? I'll do is I'll start a wish list. Um, but I don't want to mess with Goodreads. so maybe I'll maybe I'll try Storyboard.
0: Yeah, Storyboard is um currently in beta, I think it gets released next month, and it is independently owned. Everyone, so
1: well, Amazon is too. Je- I mean, Jeff Bezos is an independent, you know, and he's an independent guy. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Most importantly, the search function actually works on that. So, Goodreads is the hilariously terrible search ever. And I think
0: the thing about Storygraph is it's not really based around community. So, you can just keep it to yourself. But, like, if you
1: chose to, could you see mine and I see yours? Yeah, you
0: you can follow people but it's not the primary function of it. So there is a tab where you can look at the people you follow and check out what they're doing, but it's like a, just a side tab you can look at.
1: Perfect. Yeah. I think I would like that because I mean, one thing I do like about just like peeking at what somebody's thinking about reading is this was the first year that I really did buddy reads and I liked it so much. Like the prime pleasure one we did was great. Obviously we landed on a, a, a <laughs> we ended on a sour note. But I think I want to do JR with, uh, you know, with Dan next year if he's up for it and if he's going to do it. Um, but it would be cool to be able to see your, you know, either one of yours or both lists and be like, oh, I'm thinking about reading this, you know, too. Do you want to, you know, match up and do it or whatever, you know? Um, yeah.
0: you I sent you the link to the beta so you can join and just use it to track your reading. That's the main thing.
1: I will. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do my American one.
0: Oh, before you do that, yeah, yeah. have you checked out their um, recommendations? Because they've got recommendation system in there on Storygraph, Dan. Oh. Uh, sorry, what on Storygraph? Uh, Storygraph has, uh, it tries to recommend you books. Hmm. Like your recommendations. and I think... like. I'm actually surprised that the books they've recommended, like they're actually recommending books that I might actually read, like *Mad Tiger by Ika Karawang. How do you say Karawang?
2: That Indonesian writer? (laughs) Right. I haven't looked up the pronunciation
0: for his
3: name yet.
0: I'm actually surprised that, that their recommendations are actually books that I'm actually interested in. Really,
2: yeah, no, it's true. The recommendation <laughs> function is, yeah, it's tempting <laughs> you over to the dark side. That speaks to its power. The algorithm is strong. I know. Yeah. I mean, I totally does. I th- I feel like Goodreads is whatever its recommendation algorithm is. It's like very fringely correct, if that's a real yeah. statement you can make. But yeah. this, yeah, StoryGraph is like, huh? I've seen that mentioned before, and it sounded like something I would like. And yeah. based on whatever input I provided, like it, definitely seeming weird- to confirm that.
0: The weirdest one I got was for Breasts and Eggs, where it recommended I read Lee Childs.
2: Mm. It's the next step.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he knows how to write about Breasts and Eggs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Obvious. Go on, Can you TV me? Yep. Yeah. Okay, I had to... I had to pull out my fancy things because they died on me. Oh, uh, so, now we're just—they look yuppie. Uh <laughs> I don't need recommendations anymore. Like Twitter, I, like I, I have too many books to read. You know what I mean? Like I'll recommend you books. <laughs> I just got—I
2: just bought some books that you you all have recommended before. They've been sticking in my head, so you're you're you're, you're getting. <laughs> You've reached me. I got 77 recently. Oh, nice. So. Yes. Yeah.
1: I have The Clerk here, his newest. Um, yeah. And it's actually the first one of his that's like, or at least that Open Letter put out that's short. I mean, it's, you know, like a one, maybe two sitting read. Um, another one that I'm saving because I'm pretty excited about. Ooh. I love the cover. The font, the wiggly font. Yeah, yeah. All right, my American one is um, this right here. <laughs> the Lost Scrapbook by Evan Dara. Um, yeah, I'll just – I mean, so I, I – I, I did a whole video on it, so I'm not going to go full, full thing into it because right now, like, I'm addicted to this. But let me just say why <laughs> – what it is about this kind of writing that i really like is when somebody does something experimental and you're kind of like plopped down right from the beginning in in a very unfamiliar place like genre wise plot wise you know whatever you just don't know what's going on and you know for this one it's a how long is it it's a 400 page book so maybe about page you know 50 or 60 it's kind of bugging you a little bit that like you don't know what's going on um but then by page 100 you've forgotten because it's so funny like and that's okay. when experimental stuff really works for me when it's funny you know and then when it becomes an absolute masterpiece i think is that at the end it ties up enough to where you're like oh i understand everything that was kind of going on like now you know and those experimental flourishes and kind of like things that you might initially think of as sort of showy writer things served a purpose in the story. And like, Oh, you just found a really cool way to tell a story. So like this was written in 1995 and the first three quarters of the book are like turning a radio dial between dialogue almost. So you just kind of step in and out between, but you can't tell like, am I just overhearing this? Like, What's the cohesion kind of thing, and then it, and then that last quarter, uh, it all comes together. Like and 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 so anyway, it was really great. And he lives in Paris. Evan Dara does, um, and no one knows who he is. That's not. I mean, that's just a pseudonym, um, and. This book, like, won an award that William Volman judged, I guess, called the FC Two National Fiction Competition um, in nineteen ninety five, and that's how it got published. Since then, he has just self published uh, two books and a play. You just go to his website, uh, Aurora, whatever, and you can get one of his other books. So, like, I got "Flee," which is. Um, like 2013 or something uh, much shorter. And this apparently is um, a flood like hits a Massachusetts town and the residents flee. And that's all I, I know about it. But anyway, um, Loved this book. It was it was my favorite read of the year overall. So I had to include it, even though it's not translated. But it does hit on a couple of those like same things where we have no idea who the author is, <laughs> and uh, he lives in Paris. So there you go. Kind of counts.
3: <laughs> Sounds really interesting.
1: Now, and I should say that it was BookTube that turned me on to that. Like so. A paper bird. um, I don't know if you ever see his video. I mean, they're great, right? Like he like has such a it's like artistic stuff. I was going through and and watching um, some Gaddis stuff in anticipation of rereading the recognitions. And um, I really, really like Leaf by Leaf, but he goes super in depth and I didn't want to be spoiled. What I like about Paperbird is like it's just kind of a almost like a teaser trailer he does for books. So, anyway, like uh, one came up then about Evan Dara, like, you know, like the autoplay stuff, the way that people turn into flat earthers. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, started, I was just, I was like, okay, like, here's a. Author that's reclusive in a whole new way. This, which like, is always interesting for whatever freaking reason. You know what I mean? Um, So anyway, w- when I read it, it was like blew me away. So. Awesome. And I, I have like, like a thirty minute review up if anybody actually <laughs> like wants to get into the nuts and bolts of it. Um, is that the latest I, one. It's not my latest. My latest one I talk about. Oh, my latest one I read the beginning. The author's note of The Diaries of Emilio Renzi Renzi by Riccardo Piglia, translated I, by Robert Kroll. Alright.
0: So I've actually, kind of back I to I don't know if I it, but I probably watched it then.
1: So back to translated <laughs> literature is what I did on my latest one, so you'll be very proud. No, this one was a uh, wow.
0: I'll actually have to
1: watch it. Exactly. No, the lost scrapbook video is when I was literally falling asleep. I had no plans uh, to do one. I was very tired. I think you could see it in my eyes. Um, It was
3: like 1 a.m. or something. (laughs)
1: Say what?
0: It was like 1 a.m. you recorded that, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was 1 a.m. very tired. Um, And so, yeah. (laughs) Uh, but the perfect way to record about that book because that it's a mind altering book, so it's you should you should talk about it in a mind altering uh, way. Is all part of the plan. <laughs> Sorry, right, Michael. Michael. That translated. Translated. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> I I had a few lined up because I was sure people were going to talk about it. But because no one has yet, hurricane season. Mm. Bernard Monture, translated by Sophie Hughes. I'm assuming by few you've read that one. I
1: have, yeah. We did a podcast one. <laughs> yes, we I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> was that our first conversation? Or was No, 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 no. it
0: was yeah. Was it Okay. Uh,
1: it was definitely our first. Remember. I think it was our first planned conversation, but we ended up doing a BTBA like reaction podcast. Oh uh, yeah, week. that's right. Yeah, that's right.
0: Twenty twenty's been a weird year, um, but, but yeah, there is a podcast episode. Actually, I might convert this into a podcast episode. That'll be good. Yeah, <laughs> um, okay. But um, save me having to record another one. <laughs> <laughs> but-, but, yeah, that book just I still think about hurricane season and that town and what those women went through. I really need to read that again. Mm. I don't know what to say about it because I've done the podcast. I, I think everyone's read it, but it's mm-hmm. definitely one of the best books I've read this year.
2: Yeah, we, uh, I, I did that for... My in real life book uh, club, that you know we're not actually meeting in real life. Nor do we all. Uh, in
0: real life anymore. I do have a question. <laughs> How did the people react to it?
2: Well, this was the original Weird Book Book Club, so you set the bar high.
3: Oh, okay.
2: Earlier on, uh, we, we read *Pluma Madre*, which was like oh, that was like the favorite. Group like read of the year for the group, so that should tell you something. Uh, yeah, yeah we're uh, just a, a
3: group of I old know, ladies. So
2: good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> these are friends that I've known. Some of them since like fifth grade, so oh. we we have a sense of each other's eccentricities. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's yeah, a good I don't display. know. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's hard to tell because it was, it, we assigned it to ourselves in this like very odd time. It like was going through the like American presidential election period. And uh, so I read it like two months apart from when I discussed it. And yeah. uh, I remember the intensity of it. I remember how, uh, you know, this whole like, the 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 witches house parties and the <laughs> there's something kind of like Silence of the Lambs ish that was like ringing ringing bells for the descriptions of the the, the life that you eventually find out the witches living I don't want to like give away I don't want to
1: spoil it too much yeah we did the same thing on the podcast like we had to talk around <laughs> it, it is hard good. to
3: out of uh,
0: yeah spoiling
2: I think a lot of it, the I think a lot of the impact is it's kind of like um, you know each narrator kind of calls into question certain you
3: know facts
2: mm-hmm. that you thought established, and you know the insight into characters like personal turmoil deepens and you kind of start to understand a little bit more you know why they're doing what they're doing.
1: Uh, yeah, I. Chris is an all-time reader. Chris Olson's comments up there about hurricane the season—he is a great source. Of, but I, one thing about the different narrators, I really liked is it. it each one brought to the table their own sort of definition of, of which, and I, I, I want to go back and read it with that like symbolic mm. stuff in mind because I actually think that I, I think that it like. Deserves a deeper dive, even than I gave it when I even, you know, even though I was gonna do a podcast like that, like I do feel like this is a book that people will be talking about in 10, 15 years. Like it it, it feels like a major work.
3: Hmm.
2: And probably if you're personally like torn between a life of homosexuality or bestiality, you would deeply relate to one of the characters uh, in Hurricane
1: Season. (laughs) Well, it's a very I, was that director dead. <laughs> and, and and the treatment of 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 toxic adolescent masculinity is mm. tremendous. I mean, probably the best treatment I can think think of in a while. and like, um, and I, it makes sense that it was an international hit because, because while it is a translated literature piece, it would have it would not have mattered what country she was from, in my opinion, or where she had written it. Like it was like so good, I think it's so kind of like timeless in its thematic quality that it would have worked.
3: But yeah. Well, we're
2: all on record as being pro witch. So <laughs>
3: nice.
2: All right, what you got, Dan? What do I have? Uh, well, since we we mentioned it earlier, I, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> obligated to, to talk about uh, breasts and eggs. Yeah, uh, trans- you are the expert. It's it duly translated, and I didn't write down the translator's names. So someone could it's help me. Out.
0: Sam is it I David don't boy David Boyd and Sam, someone.
1: And I yeah. only know because I think he's the guy who is in my home state. Oh, who I have talked. Yeah,
0: Sam Bett and David Boyd.
1: David Boyd uh, Dan does the um, the factory and the whole, That author whose name is no. yeah, um,
2: yeah. I think it's Hiroko Kawakami, but I might be yeah.
1: There's two Kawakami's that we. So he's actually about. we. You know we've talked before about like translators that follow. He's one of those translators that like if he's on it, I'm, I'm probably interested in reading. You yeah. know it's probably gonna be pretty high quality Japanese fiction.
3: Yeah. And of of we were talking Chris about before. Gonna... Sorry.
0: Sorry, Chris. Chris called it a downer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Chris didn't like breast eggs I knew that. A downer. Yeah, I, don't know. Know. I can't. I can't weigh in, but I do happen to know that he did not like that book. I that feel like Chris
0: would be the expert in Japanese literature. here, though. I, I,
2: I don't claim any expertise. I know <laughs> that. Uh... <laughs>
0: hey,
3: how far uh, was... is
0: it from that Murakami? I didn't.
2: Know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. I think we talked about this a little bit before. I just think the, the Haruki Murakami connection was like so overstated to the, like actual similarities between them. I think it was kind of one of these books where they were, they're trying to convey, like this is a translated novel from Japanese that you should really care about. And there is some kind of connection between them and they're like, Public personas, the authors like, uh, because Breast and Eggs was uh, the, as we have received it is a much expanded, novelized version of a short story or like a, a kind of a novella that she won the Akutagawa Prize for, and that's like the one the big deal uh, like serious literature prize in Japan. And so this is something she's, like, gone back and reworked a lot. Uh, And, like, it's kind of funny because it's split into, like, two major sections. And the first chunk of it, um, you know, it does feel like a novella. But I think it was, you, you can sense that there's, like, a lot of, like, thematic building that she got to do by, like,
0: expanding it as much as she did. Um, I think the second half was better, anyway. yeah.
2: Oh, really? I think
3: Dude.
2: it gives a time to like kind of deepen the the, mm. the tension that exists. It gets way more existential in the second half for sure, or second chunk for sure, because yeah. like main like uh, drama of it is the this woman who has finally achieved some professional success as a writer uh, mm-hmm. is a very strong drive. She wants to have a child and all of the people around her are telling her, you know, the very pragmatic reasons why she shouldn't. And also she herself is asexual. Uh, I mean, I don't, she never uses that
3: term, but yeah. I mean, the way but she described, doesn't want to have sex.
2: <laughs> right and she so and, and that further complicated like it it taught me all sorts of things about like the, the reproductive rights in japan and how like unmarried women basically can't get artificially inseminated uh like you have to like prove an inability to conceive in order to have you know and so there's all these like sperm logistics that start going on in the book like in a pretty serious way like You know, well, you know, if we can't get it from an official medical source, how else can we get some sperm? But also in a way that,
3: you know, is... (laughs) Yeah, just ask random people
2: on the street. (laughs) I mean, it kind of almost goes there. But then it gets into all these, like, existential questions of, or you know, in her own, like, personal and professional life, is this really the best thing for her? Would it be the best thing for the child? And like the kind, the depth in which it's like discussed, whether or not it's ethical to like bring a new life into the world, is like I, I felt like it, uh, it it did the topic some like due justice. Uh, mm. What is like kind of considered a neutral, positive act in a lot of social contexts, uh, and and the arguments against it are like completely reasonable. Like that's one thing I really appreciated about the book is that I think it was very much marketed as sort of something engaging with like feminist issues like which could encompass like so many different things. And I think a lot of times when I you read a book that's clearly engaging with like the current current political structures uh it can be really disappointing when that book is just like presents all of these like straw man arguments of like the evil, like the stupid conservative forces, dominant conservative forces. And then, you know, I give this really impassioned speech and, uh, you know, it's like, you know, the value anyway. And it's like, it's not a real fight. It doesn't (laughs) correspond to real life. It's engaging with real issues, but not in like a realistic way. It's in this very like, Good and evil, and if you have the most well reasoned argument, then you will like prosper, and also people will see the light of your of your wisdom or whatever. I don't know, and that's not the way it happens. Like this, really, just this woman who, on all counts, is like being questioned by p- people who are like fairly well intentioned, and she just kind of has to like make up her mind and like decide how she's going to feel about it and why she wants to do what she wants to do. And I really appreciated that way more than just having some kind of like, you know, feel good, like, you know, oppressive argument. You're like, no, that's not right. ha, I get to be pregnant now and feel good about it. It's, you know, uh, it, it, it's it, it did it in a in an interesting way. It didn't feel like cheap to me. It it, it earned its length
1: of consideration. <laughs>
0: I read that after Kim Jong in nineteen eighty-two. So <laughs> well, oh, yeah. that was a double <laughs> zero of feminism going on there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> There's so, a lot of bad stuff happening. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. All right, Derek.
1: All right, George. Correct. Life a user's Manual, <laughs> translated from French by David Bellows. And uh, this was another doorstop and very, you know, kind of like Lost Scrapbook. <laughs> like it's, you don't know what's going on. It's highly experimental and um, it's got more of, I mean, you know, it, you can figure out what's going on a little quicker. But, um, it it also though does end in a way where everything is literally um, put together, and uh, it's just incredible, you know. So the story is um, all takes place in one apartment complex uh, in Paris, and um, specifically, literally like one minute. Um, but of course, in that minute, you go through each of the rooms and. Not only what's happening at that time, but also, um, you know, their histories and the history of that family, the history of that room, the history of the owners of the complex. Um, and there is throughout a, a really great plot and thread about a rich eccentric that it has traveled all over the um, the world to every port to paint that port, and then he wraps up the painting. He ships it back to this Paris apartment complex. And um, a woodworker that lives there that he's hired who makes puzzles then makes a puzzle of his painting. And so, when this rich, eccentric man is done painting every port, he is going to come back and put together every puzzle um, and, you know, for the end part of his life. And what I've just described, while the plot that goes throughout is also um, the structure of the novel, but that only makes sense like once you're kind of reading it. Um, And then there is, in addition, another layer of chess when it comes to structure Uh, that I was not as good at picking up on because I'm not really a chess person. Like I know how to play, but I don't know the whatever. Um, So it wasn't until after I finished the book that I read like some supplemental material and essays that showed how he did some things so it was kind of cool to learn that there was a whole nother layer that if i chose to interact with it that way i could i really like that about these big maximalist books because you as the reader get to kind of choose what your entry point to me this was just like some of the best writing on like everyday life and you know it was very like uh you you took this one world and you saw how much you could expand it out. And that's what I got out of it and loved it. And I read it right at the beginning of our, you know, sort of lockdown or whatever you want to call it. And frankly, when we took it a little more seriously, you know, because at first here there was like a, a true lockdown, I feel like, you know, and, um, and then when I made my video on that, which is like, Forty minutes long or something, you know. I did it room by room in the house, you know, like and so I had fun like mimicking that. Um, that's definitely like, I mean, it's probably the the most famous book I've read this year. I'll probably finish the recognitions by the end of the year, and that might be up there. But Perex is probably the most famous book. Why are you shaking your head? Oh God, you're right, Michael. Oh my God, Crime and Punishment. Oh my God, that is <laughs> amazing. Yes, 100% that is not the most fair. <laughs> um, crime Punishment is, is is there. You know, I didn't even put – when I was going through, there was a couple of books that I didn't pick out. Hurricane Season was one because I figured you would have it. Four by Four was another because I thought you might have it. But also because it – <laughs> You know what? You did, I you haven't, had it,
0: to, just in case you didn't mention it. Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah. So I didn't bring that. Up without, but um, uh, anyway, the other one was I was like, well, I'm not going to talk Crime Punch it because we did that. We did a thing. And yeah. some of the classic books, like, it's not fair to the other books. You know what I mean? Like, it's not fair to be like, well, Dostoevsky's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this that you like? You know what I mean?
0: Like, <laughs> I, I didn't pick it because it was a reread for me.
1: Oh so, yeah, so it does yeah, yeah, and it was a re yeah, it was a reread for me. So there we go. Um, yeah, correct though. That was it's great. I mean, I think though that ties in. You see those two in a row. That uh, if you're like me and you like puzzles and you like kind of figuring out narratives as you go, those two are like the ones. Interesting that it's like with my first one, it was all kind of like plot and mood and you know, you, you know what I mean. So it kind of shows the two different ways I like to read.
3: Hmm. Awesome.
0: Yeah, so I guess I'm up, but I'm trying to work out which one to pick.
3: 4.4 <laughs>
0: huh? was really good. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I did. Sh- yeah.
1: You know, the only reason I wouldn't pick it, and this is a really small nitpick, is that it feels a little bit like a short story, even though it has the length of a novel. Like, there is one – tale, T-A-L-E, you know what I mean? Like, it's good, and it's a good one, but there's not a ton else going on.
0: Yeah, the one I think I'm going to pick is called The Dishwasher by Stephanie Leroux, translated by Pablo Strauss. And this is a French-Canadian book about, set in Montreal, about 2000, early 2000s. It's just this um, guy who's a graphic design student, but it centres around his part-time job as a dishwasher in this fancy restaurant and his descent into drug addiction and, you know, having your first job where you're making money and just, oh, I've got money now so I can start buying lots of alcohol and buying all the drugs. And, like... That's pretty much the entire book. And then it's like his um, growing obsession with heavy metal music, like Iron Maiden and stuff like that. And it was just a lot of fun to read that kind of book.
3: I don't know what's happening. Uh Uh-oh. Derek, what happened? Did you you pick up any new metal recommendations
2: from the book?
0: Uh, No, a lot of them were... Obvious choices. They listed so many metal bands. Like a lot of them, I haven't listened to. A lot of them, I've never heard of before. But I'm kind of stuck in my. I, I prefer the more punk, emo type metal stuff. So I'm still listening to the same albums. <laughs> I don't know if you looked at like the... Um, Spotify list where it tells you, Oh, these are your favourite songs of the year. Uh, it turned oh, yeah. out to my um because they released earlier this year your forever favourites, which were like, Oh, these are the songs you listen to over and over again since you had your account. And I've just been listening to that playlist all the time, so it was didn't really tell me much except
1: that I like Kaheed yeah. and Korea too much. <laughs> Classic. I actually know the dishwasher, that book very well, but I have not read it. Um, this is going to circle back to a conversation we were having in the beginning. But the reason I have not read it uh, is because when I uh, met my wife, I was 21 and I was a dishwasher. She was a line cook. So I um, was a dishwasher while I was like trying to do music and stuff like that for a couple of years. And I've tried a couple of different times to write about that error and that whatever. <laughs> And so I do not want to read a book called The Ditch and realize that it's all already completely written and whatever.
0: Yeah, someone did it better than you.
1: Exactly, like far better. And yeah, I just don't. I'd I'd really like to eke a short story out of the material before I go and read the much better Mm. (laughs) one.
0: Yeah, it's just a lot of fun to read that kind of book where it's just someone's life
3: pulling apart kind of thing. See, yeah, also feels relatable. I can Mm. can, uh, get down. Like when you're 20, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, right, Dan. Okay.
2: Uh, I think uh, one that i really really enjoyed this year was called mama day by uh gloria naylor and i'd heard of this book it, it kind of gets like passed around on lists of like sort of like literary fantasy or yeah i guess that would be kind of uh the the bucket would be put into but also there's another book tuber out there I, I don't know her actual name but The name of the channel is Books by Lainez, L-E-Y-N-E-S. And she just got this very funny, deeply, like very strong take on what she reads and like thoroughly researched and, you know, incredibly put. So anyway, she's done a lot of Gloria and Ayler reviews this past year. And uh, Mama Day, it kind of... I guess it kind of gets marketed as like a retelling of Shakespeare's The Tempest in a way, but it's one of those things where like, I think they just kind of say that for marketing purposes, like you can kind of read some of that into it, but to a very limited extent, like it takes place on an Island and, you know, or a a portion of the plot does. And it's kind of this interesting like freestanding political entity. It's like off the coast of the United States, but it doesn't belong to any particular state. So it falls into the sort of like gray area jurisdictionally. And there are all these kinds of like conventions and, you know, local legends for how this population of like predominantly African, now not African-American, because they're not technically American, but kind of they are, uh, and uh, so this like there's a lot of like this the, the traditional dynamics of like origin stories going back to one's roots, figuring out about like both the very tragic and also kind of empowering things that like underlie where you came from., uh, but it's, I don't know, it's one of those novels that really kind of skirts the boundary between there are like supernatural elements to it but they all kind of have something of a practical explanation as well. But also there's this very interesting, like kind of cyclical structure to the way everything is set up. Like just the the quality of the narration is this very like classic charismatic storyteller uh, for, for large portions of it, but there are also these, all these sort of like intergenerational conflicts. And again, like, the the sort of modernized younger characters and the more traditional older characters like they both have these very they have well reasoned ideas behind why they do what they do even though some of it is kind of fucked up and uh, you know it's like that messy human stuff but uh, I don't know it's just like someone who's like able to be very entertaining. While also being like to strongly convey certain ideas and themes, but to also leave things very open-ended, and I think that's really hard to do. And uh, you know, you can't you can't underrate entertainment value in our current environment. Uh, so you know, this was like a favorite of someone that I sort of respected on YouTube, and it like totally lived up to the hype. And I would definitely want to read more of her novels. Although I think this is the only one that has that sort of supernatural element to it. I think most of her other novels are very much, almost more like Parekhian in that they like look at, there's one called The Women of Brewster Place. And it's all these different women living their different lives within this one particular
1: um, apartment. Anyway. That sounds really good. Yeah. I haven't read, I don't, I never read fantasy ever, which is.
3: I can't get into fantasy.
1: <laughs> I've always wanted to get into one. I've always thought, like, oh, when the right one comes along. But, like, you know, I have a similar thing with science fiction where I've read Dogger and Dune, and I think that might be it. I mean, books that have, you know, I guess I've read, well, I've read Phil K. Dick, I guess that counts. All right. I've read some science fiction. (laughs) I have no fantasy, though, (laughs) that I can even think of. You know? I mean, so, I don't know. I'd be interested in that.
2: It's a very light touch. It's, like, 90% realistic. And, like I said, a lot of the stuff could be explained through pragmatic means. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't overplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I, I find it easier to get into science fiction than fantasy as well, just because, like, at least in science fiction, it's presented as, like, you know, all the crazy solutions they come up with are stuff that you could potentially feasibly achieve in the real world if you had, like, way better technology and yep. race market, whatever. But, like, mm-hmm. with fantasy, it kind of gets into this, like, how, whenever there's like a big power struggle it's like well why didn't you just like throw a lightning bolt at him i yep. don't know it's all, it's all <laughs> magic nonsense uh and so i don't know maybe you might I, I guess like a lot of people would refer to this as sort of a magical realism although i i always feel very uncomfortable having the way that's like applied in a popular literature context these days i always think of hundred years of solitude yeah, and I think of like stuff that like gets called magical reels in these days is just like quirky. Yep. a lot of it very like comforting, affirmative messages. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. And this book is not like a lot of it, it engages with like the struggles of being a real person in a very like and mm-hmm. you know well thought out way. Uh, so, you know, the stakes always feel appropriate, I guess. Uh, yeah, I would it, it
1: definitely highly recommend. Nice. All right, I'm going to go. So that's, uh, God, that's, oh, there we go. So this is Louis Sagatzee, Louis Sagazzi, a musical offering um, translated by Fionn Petch, And this is a Charco Press title So I don't read anything um, Like this basically ever Because I'm not even sure if we can call this fiction uh, So the author, Louis Sigazzi, Is like an art critic and professor And the first book he wrote that was then translated Was called Fireflies um, But it it followed kind of like a hundred page art lecture, but then connecting it with, you know, things in real life and stuff like that. And I read it afterwards after this and it's really good, but this one is, is far better, I think. So this one is sort of based around gold, Glenn Gold's variations, like his version of of the variations of box Goldberg variations. And he, Um, uses that like structure and um, the, the story behind Bach creating this work to look at kind of music's place in our souls, for lack of like an uncheesy way to say it. I mean, you know, and that connection that, that music can make that is, kind of singular you know and like ways that other art forms aren't able to do and I think every art form can lay a claim to that in one way or, or another I mean obviously like we're all kind of like addicted to literature uh, but it made me think about music which is something obviously I love like in a very different kind of way even though most of the musicians in here I mean you're not I'm not a big Beatles fan there's a lot of Beatles stuff in here um, I don't listen to a lot of classical music there's a lot of classical music but it all comes together to be just about the way that we use art to make life a little bit better, you know? And like, I really like that in that it was, you know, we talk about books of suffering, like this is like a nice book. Like you feel good. Like when you put it down, you feel like, you know, there are elements of, of humanity that are, are so precious and beautiful and a Definitely one of my favorites. How dare you bring positivity I'm, to this discussion, Derek? I, I promise that that's my fourth. I, I promise you um, that you will all be able to predict my fifth and you and I also <laughs> will bring no positivity. <laughs> Fifty shades of gray. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Holy
0: <moron>. All right. <laughs> Okay, last pick for me is going to be probably the first... I think it was the first book I read this year called Older Brother by Maha Goveen, and that was translated by Tini Uh This is a book about... As uh, Syrian people living in France, the father is a taxi driver. The older brother drives for Uber. So there's this conflict between the two like his father thinks that he's losing his job because of Uber and stuff like that and the, the main character who's the younger brother he actually
3: um,
0: is a nurse and he, he wants to go to Syria to actually help um, the humanity efforts in there, and there's just so many, like, layers going on because the father is the communist and the brother is a bit right-winged. and There's just a lot of, like, in-family fighting and arguing happening all the time, which was so much fun to read.
2: Particularly relatable around the holiday season, family Ooh,
3: conflict. Yeah.
0: and because they're Syrian um, in France, you've got that whole layer of how the world sees them, like how the French people see them so there's like all these different things happening, all these different layers I'm sorry, I don't know what's happening with Derek but it was just such a fascinating book and Because it was translated by Tinikova, that was the main reason I wanted to read it.
1: Because she does some great. Derek was trying not to be on camera for, for, you know. (laughs) Well, sweet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Derek was just, you know, (laughs) listening um, (laughs) while I was, you know. Well, there's
0: no photographic evidence. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Private activities. (laughs) <laughs> so I was going to ask about her she's one of my favorite Twitter followers she you I mean she's a fascinating translator like um her politics are amazing I look, like I, I really really like her right like as a person but have you mm. watched their YouTube channel the translators reading aloud
0: the translator aloud, aloud? Yeah. yeah I have yeah. I, so I really it's a good way to test out books and see if it's one you're going to want
1: to buy. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, I love readings. Like, that's one thing that's been – very few has been cool about, you know, this. But the fact that there's so much Zoom readings and stuff is cool. I like hearing, like, the translators read the work. Uh, Frank Wynn has done a couple that are just, like, they're, they're awesome. But anyway, mm-hmm. I love the that channel.
3: That's awesome. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that book before, so – uh, just, just right. if
0: you see Peter cover book, just buy it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> much. You see the name, <laughs> you purchase the book.
1: That's it. That's it. Sophie Hughes. That's another one. You know, there's like three or four that are just you know.
0: Megan McDonald. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could just go forever, just naming auto buy <laughs> translators.
1: <laughs> Natasha. Yeah, no, she. I don't think I've seen her translate anything in a while. It's weird. Like, you were just talking about. Oh, she's Space Invaders, that's right. Yeah. Okay.
2: She's out there. She's doing all her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she's, all, she's going through the Bolaño archives.
3: <laughs>
1: I mean, that's kind of what I was wondering was, I mean, do they just have her, you know what I mean, like at another yeah. desk? And every strategy they find, they hand it to her, and she's got to make a book out of it. Melania's <laughs> yeah. child is writing new novels as we speak. And he's they did that with Dickens and got caught. Charles um, uh, oh, really? Dickens, there were two serialized novels that came out after he died. Um and it was like the magazines or newspaper, I forget which one it was that like like wouldn't rip that ran them, you know, and claimed that they were found or whatever by his estate and um uh, they were complete fabrications or whatever they had paid somebody to do it. I always thought that was super, super <laughs> interesting. That's cool.
2: I like I like a good scam a <laughs> literary grifter. Uh it's plenty of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh my last uh book that I wanted to mention was uh Chelsea Girls by Eileen Miles. And uh I kept <laughs> imagining that I kept singing the Nico song to myself as I went through it in my like
3: Chelsea girls.
2: But uh anyway, it's like one of those books that's kind of set in New York uh young artistic queer groups of friends who are all trying to, you know, find their artistic voice and also like have sex with each other and not make each other mad at each other for having sex with other people that they like kind of thing. But also like the it's a very autobiographical work from what I can tell. Miles did their own now I guess at the time when it was written, Miles would have identified as a lesbian, but uh, now they're uh, non-binary; they they them pronouns. So, anyway, it's interesting. Like, you know, queer history is sort of evolving uh, mm. before our eyes, and you know, there's all this stuff coming out with the, all the turf stuff online. And people are like, oh, they came out as you know, either trans or non-binary. They're they're betraying there are no lesbian or gay heroes anymore because they're all changing genders and not being the gender that they're supposed to be, blah blah blah. So it's interesting to look at it and like still read this book and it's still like very complicated and engaging and funny and upsetting. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. <laughs> like that the the artist has chosen to identify otherwise since then, it's just like not a big deal. But I mean, kind of one of the things that struck me about it was, it, it in many ways it's like this very traditional, like macho kind of charismatic asshole <laughs> character <clears throat> that there are so many like male dominated, books that you see from that perspective that it becomes very tiresome but uh there's this whole sort of like there's a lot of background on her family dynamic working in this working like growing up in this uh working class family outside of boston and uh her father was alcohol. Uh, the character's father was an alcoholic and uh they had a very like deep admiration for him in certain ways uh and his his like projection of this sort of classic masculinity was one of the things that the main character finds so uh, intriguing about him or you know the one of the aspects of his memory that continues on in their life and so they moved to new york and are you know being out and non heterosexual and they have this like classic macho vibe to them themselves, and it comes along with all that baggage uh <laughs> <laughs> am I <laughs> you surprised to learn I'm actually seventy five so... uh I think it it's kind of funny because I do get the sense, to your point, Chris, that this was like a very like it and now text. I mean, it goes. There's one. It's split into a bunch of vignettes and it jumps back and forth different time periods. And um, there's like one talking about how they go on a road trip to Woodstock, and you know, so there's all there's all that particular time periodness of it, but. Uh, in one of the ending sections that where the book gets its name from, he's, the main character is taking care of this like aging poet uh, who is like, a real New York poet. Kind of a big deal contemporary. A lot of like the beats are, you know, but maybe more interesting than a lot of them because the beats aren't usually that
3: interesting anymore. <laughs> but anyway, uh,
2: so it does engage with that sort of like... You know, there's the nowness, but there's like the where we're coming from and maybe where we're going of being a queer person. And just like, despite being pretty much an asshole, like the char- main character is like legitimately like really funny. And like, you can kind of see why people go along with it, their whole deal, so much as they do. Uh, and it has just like a lot of different styles to it. It can be very experimental, can be more conventional. Um and I just it it still works it still works a timeless a timeless classic that's my all right <laughs> someone
1: else <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> <clears throat> all right <clears throat> I'm gonna end this tonight with the with the e e g which I've talked about every time that we've talked um the Drindic. And this was translated by, I think it's Celia, yeah, Celia Hawksworth. I just, that was the thing that got me super into her this year, and it's probably the most exciting, like, author find of the year as far as how much stuff there is, and um, so then I followed it all the way through. I just haven't, I have one left, Trist, which I've been, like, saving because I'm so excited about it, but, yeah, that was, that was an awesome book.
2: It still blows my mind that you read that before
1: Belladonna, even though maybe it totally works. It's better that way. It's like hard to explain, you know what I mean? But it just, it it was almost like Belladonna was like this youth of this character that I already knew so well. You know what I mean? So, like, it really worked the other way around just as well because, like, at the end of EEG, you know exactly where the character is at, like, you know, mentally, emotionally, everything else. But Uh, It was like tracing it backwards. You know what I mean? Like, so it was really good.
3: Yeah.
2: I mean, I guess, I'm guessing it was like super intense, dredging up the worst fascist crimes of
1: (laughs) recent history. Yeah. I mean, there's 30 pages at one point of just like lists of, (laughs) you know, families and how many people um, killed. I love I love this right here. So in June 1940, Soviet tanks entered Riga. Life was not immediately turned upside down. During all wars, always and everywhere, people build niches, magic burrows in which they place their everyday lives, their mirages, their illusions, normality in order to survive. I mean, I, I love that. That's awesome. Like, even when war comes, there's people who just, like, go to the grocery store.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the fact that she can
2: she was able to do two novels of historical atrocities of just that one time period and that one region of the world really
1: uh says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think it goes to say something about how when the hate is that strong, you know, um the atrocities kind of pile up and the world felt like a world that hated each other at that time.
2: Anyway, uh, you succeeded in your original uh, into well, what you promised, Derek, which was to bring the the happiness level.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, there's nothing nothing nice about it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's fair. We don't do that. This is all
2: awesome. It's. Uh, one of the joys of 2020 has been starting to do these conversations. So, thanks.
0: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Really. I yeah, guess we,
3: awesome. if,
0: if we have time before the end of the year, we should do one about our plans for next year. I think that'll be an mm. interesting conversation.
3: But, you know. Yeah, that'd
1: be good. I mean, I, mean, yeah, because I have, have some
3: funny reads. Fun reads? Yeah.
2: Oh. <laughs> How far are you on the recognitions now, Derek? Um,
1: I am. I just have this awesome new. Oh, I like. I can't figure out where my camera is versus here. <laughs> I'm probably off screen like half the time. Like, or I think I'm off screen when I'm like dancing because anyway. Um, I got this cool ass hand blown wooden uh bookmark. It's awesome, man. Uh, anyway, I'm very happy. All right, five hundred. Page five hundred, and we got. This one is 925. So, all right. We've well, hit a very difficult middle that is not, <laughs> not bringing me joy uh, right now. But so I'm hoping that that ends soon and I can get back to liking the book. You're in those Gaddis doldrums. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Are you planning to read any big books for the end of the year? At the
2: end of the year? Uh, hell no. I'm, I'm solely arbitrarily reading like small things that I know I can get through in like a relatively quick fashion. Yeah. I want to, uh, anything in specific I do want to finish before the end of the year? I'm not sure anymore. I knew I wanted to do, uh, some Cesar Ira and I read one of my not favorite ones by him called the Miracle Cures of Dr. Ira. Uh, we won't get into that, but he, he's got a lot of stuff too. They can't all be, they can't all be hits. So yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> uh, they got a lot going for him.
3: <laughs> all right, gang. until next time. Later. <laughs> all right, later.